Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Friends, I'm coming at you fresh off an agility trial, and I want to talk about the behaviors that occur outside the ring at agility trials. And you all know I've got a webinar coming up on this, but more than just the webinar, I really want to talk about this because I think that if I could impart a piece of knowledge on the agility community at large, it would be some of the stuff I'm about to tell you. It would be that the stuff you do outside the ring with your dog before you run really, really matters more than anybody thinks it does. And when I say anybody, I mean most folks. If you look around at a trial, you will notice that everybody's kind of got their different rituals for what they do outside the ring. For some of them, it is a ritual. For some of them, it's just trying to survive handling this beast on the end of, the, of a rope before they get in the ring. And for some people, it's it's very rushed because they are, you know, working in the other ring or they, you know, they're very occupied otherwise at the trial. And so I'm going to give you some specific examples of things that I actually saw in person this last weekend and what I think that does and maybe what an alternative could be. And understand that if you were at the trial I was at and you feel like I'm calling you out, know that not a single thing I'm saying was a one-off. So I may be talking about you, but I may be talking about the three other people that were doing exactly what you were doing. And I'm not really sitting down to record to talk about people because I love y'all and this is about helping you. And this is about trying to help everybody do better and have more fun in this game by having better connection with their dogs. So here we go. We'll start with an easy one. It is really common to just kind of hang out with your dog on the end of their leash and expect them to just be near you doing nothing without any instruction or help. It's culturally more common in some places than others. People want to kind of gather, talk to their friends, and have their dog with them while they do that. And that's well and good if your dog has kind of a service dog temperament and is perfectly fine to just chill with you with not much instruction in this very chaotic environment. But I'm just going to wager that most of the dogs that we select for this sport do not have that temperament and are being affected whether they kind of look like it in the moment or not. They are using their mental energy to take in all that sensory input and it's probably best to give them a break instead. So letting them hang out, letting them visit with other dogs, letting them see people, you know, that's fine. I like dogs to be social, whatever, but I want you to be careful about where you do it and when you do it. Pre-run is not the time for visiting as far as I'm concerned. Pre-run is the time for doing my pre-run ritual. It is not, it's not a time that I want to socialize and it's not a time that I allow my other dogs, my dogs to socialize because Again, I'm always thinking, where am I putting my mental energy? And I want to be thinking, and where is my dog putting theirs? 
So they've only got so much to give you. And if you're asking them to allocate their mental energy towards handling social situations or just existing, you know, just being next to you on a leash while, you know, this dog runs by that's losing its mind, there's a dog that's screaming in the other ring, respect that these environments are hard for dogs. Respect that and have kind of your designated times to hang out with your dog and maybe that's outside or maybe that's away from the trial or maybe it's after you run in a different location. The complete kind of flip side of that is a dog that is rushed to the ring at the very last minute either because their person is really busy maybe the person's running two other dogs in the class or because the dog can't handle the environment the person knows the dog can't handle the environment and so they want to have the dog in the environment as little as possible this is also problematic because it is important for them to have a chance to acclimate to the environment to accept that it's safe but also to accept kind of what's there it's important for them to be given the opportunity to see okay we're at agility here's who's sitting ringside here's the dogs that are around here's the ring i'm going to go into there's the judge there's the ring stewards okay i kind of have a general lay of the land and now i can play when you don't allow them that time sometimes they take that time in the ring so sometimes they visit ring stewards sometimes they visit the judge sometimes they run around looking at other dogs sometimes they charge other dogs from inside the ring sometimes they charge at the dog that's coming in behind you sometimes they look around on the start line they're sitting there but they're needing to look around and take it all in before you release them because they weren't allowed to look around at all until you got in there a lot of dogs that are very environmentally concerned who get rushed into the ring and not allowed to see the environment at all get zoomies or just kind of trot around looking around if you've ever felt like your dog was just investigating the space rather than staying with you it might be a clue that they are not aware of what's going on in the environment because nobody gave them the opportunity to see it okay and just changing your pre-run routine if that's a chronic problem for you probably not going to fix it on its own but is a contributor to the problem if we are maybe shoving food in the dog's face or doing like a pattern feeding situation all the way from the car to the gate and then as soon as you cross that threshold of the gate there is no more food there is no more management and now i need you to be on and pay attention and work that is a really big request really big hard thing to ask the dog to do so it's almost like okay i'm gonna blindfold you and i'm gonna lead you through an area that has got a lot of noise a lot of different situations going on and but as soon as we walk into this room i'm gonna take off your blindfold and the second i take off that blindfold i need you to only focus on me wow what a tough thing like if you put it that way nobody would do that to a dog right so not allowing them to see where they are and take it in is a mistake that folks are making on the same token i see this at every single trial i go to at least once folks attempting to actually blindfold the dog so holding the dog covering the dog's eyes covering the dog's eyes either with like your sweatshirt or something or with your hand if you don't do agility you might be alarmed by this but i i see it all the time folks just trying to take the visual simulation away from the dog in the hopes that the dog will freak out less 
and then walking into the ring. Y'all, that's not a dog that's going to go in the ring and perform with the confidence that you want. That's not a dog that's going to go into the ring and perform exactly as trained. So giving them the respect that they deserve, which is saying, I respect you, my teammate, enough that I let you see where you are and accept where you are and tell me that you feel safe where you are before we start this game is very important. And if you're thinking, Sarah, that's great, but my dog can't do that. My dog is upset about the environment. My dog's going to bark and lunge at other dogs or any other, you know, excuse you might have for me. My answer to that, you're probably not going to like, which is that that is your first problem to solve and that you probably shouldn't be running the dog unless you have solved that problem. I also see kind of all manner of leash behavior. So nobody wants to hear that they should train loose leash walking, but I am going to tell you that you should. And until you do, you won't understand what you were missing before. And I have that on good authority. (laughs) I have plenty of clients who've never put in the work to train loose leash walking, and then they finally do when they work with me, and it does revolutionize the way that they move through space with their dog. It is not about control. It is about connection. It is about you and I are walking from A to B together. If you and I were walking and we were attached for some reason, like you and I are walking through a space and we are tied together and I had no regard for where you were and was just beelining where I wanted to go and dragging you behind me, how would you feel about that situation? Would you feel good about me dragging you around? I think you wouldn't. And it goes both ways. People drag their dogs around and people's dogs drag them around. And it's not a good way to start in teamwork. I want you moving together through space as a team. On that note, I see a lot of attempts at kind of no-pull devices. So people might take their slip lead and wrap it around the dog's snout and kind of makeshift a gentle leader type situation. People might take their lead and wrap it around the dog's waist or behind their armpits in kind of a half hitch situation all of that okay for the moment if your dog is saying i can't stop pulling right now then having a management solution is fine but truly training them not to pull is where you're going to get the big big benefits because what happens is all of this is going to act for you as a barometer of how the dog is doing in the environment and if the dog can actually listen to you or can actually perform. If you ask them to do a simple thing that you have trained them to do, like walk next to you on a loose leash, and they simply cannot, then the question becomes, what business do you have asking them to do a start line stay, hit that weave pull entry, stay in the weave pulls, hit their running contact, etc. So actually actively training them to walk on a loose leash and you can use a no pull device and kind of also teach them not to pull on that, but have the device there as a backup. I really strongly recommend it. And I know nobody wants to hear it. I've been talking a lot about dogs who are kind of over the top. They're a little bit too much, but just as important is the dogs that are maybe not bringing enough to the table. So if your dog is literally asleep in your arms, as you approach the gate and then you put them down and they wake up and they look around and they're groggy and they shake off and then they try to run for you. That's also not nice. That's also not setting you guys up for success, right? So very similarly, we want to give that dog some time to wake up, tell them where they are, kind of maybe get them activated a little bit before we go in. And that's a balancing act because with those dogs, you don't want to use up their energy. So I've kind of got one of each. I've got Rhea, whose energy I don't want wasted 
on barking or pulling and that sort of thing. And then I've got Felix, who if he's barking or pulling, he's not okay. He's going to hurt himself out there. He's not going to listen to me and he's not going to take care of his body either. So both of those dogs are really owed a ritual that keeps them in connection with me and keeps them at kind of the right energy level. So hopefully I've kind of made my point that the stuff you do outside the ring really, really matters. And now I'm going to give you a really specific kind of tip that you can take away and maybe take to your next trial. Folks are always kind of curious about when to give a lot of food or even a lot of toy play. Do we do that before we go in the ring or do we do that after we exit the ring or kind of when's the best time for us to be using our reinforcers in a smart way? Because sometimes we've got, you know, maybe those lower energy end of the spectrum dogs who if we give them a ton of food right outside the ring and then go in the ring and now there's no more food, They're kind of like, well, where'd my paycheck go? First of all, you already gave it to me. Second of all, now you're not giving it to me anymore. Okay, so with those dogs, we want to be very careful about after the run, you get your big payout and teaching them a really smart end of run routine so that they fully understand where their payout is and when it's coming to them. And then we utilize our reinforcers to reinforce the behaviors that I talked about, like what I call placeholder behaviors, or like loose leash walking, but I am not shoveling food in your face to manage you. I am not scattering a bunch of food on the floor just constantly, just keeping you eating because eating is not barking and lunging and freaking out. So it's kind of, it is an alternative behavior that we can do. But what I wind up doing if I'm doing that is simply distracting you from the fact that you're here and we're getting ready to run in an attempt to kind of keep your energy down. And it is a Band-Aid, and you will bleed through that Band-Aid, I promise, at some point. So sometimes we use that reinforcement to overmanage, and now we're back to that lack of acclimation problem that I talked about in the beginning. Sometimes we use food to try to keep arousal low, because if the dog is snuffling through the dirt finding food, or if the dog is engaged in a pattern game of eating food, the dog's arousal will not spike super high. And that is true. But if we're not inserting questions in there to ask them how their brain space actually is, then it again will fail. It will only keep them in that kind of lower or medium arousal state outside the ring. And as soon as you're in the ring, the top is going to pop right off of that soda can that you've essentially uh, shaken up. When you're thinking about food to use outside of the ring, I want you to be thinking about kind of there's two tracks here. There's the Rhea type track. That's my Icelandic sheepdog who she's very expensive. Doing agility for her is expensive. I need to make it worth her time. So I'm not going to give her a ton of super high value chicken right outside the ring because then as soon as I walk in the ring, I'm no longer doing that. And she's saying, what gives? And I might be literally using up her behavior for me. So I'm going to keep her in more of a placeholder type of situation. I'm going to intermittently reinforce her holding that place. I'm going to activate her and energize her right as I'm heading into the ring. And then we have our start of run ritual that I have trained uh, really carefully. The other track is more of the Felix tracks. That's my border collie who is, he's a lot. We'll just put it that way. I wrote my course worked up when he was young and I was figuring out how to manage his allotness. And he is a dog that I could kind of fake 
keeping him in a nice low arousal good headspace by feeding him. So I could just do a lot of food, a lot of food, a lot of food to keep him in a place where he is not doing bad things. But if I'm not asking him questions like discrimination questions, position change type questions, then I don't actually know where he's at because he's just eating because I've trained him to eat in every single situation. And so he can just eat and I can pay attention to how he's eating the food and I can get a lot of information that way too. But he isn't going to just kind of bring himself down for me. I've got to keep him where I want him by utilizing those placeholder behaviors, but also allowing him to do some higher energy but cognitive tasks like position changes. Toys are the same thing. You've got your two tracks for toys. For toy play, again, for Rhea, she's got kind of a finite amount of toy play she'll give me that is the high energy toy play that I like. And so because of that, you're not going to see she and I playing a to- with a toy outside the ring before we go in. You might see us after playing with a toy, but not before. For Felix... He might play with a toy before he goes in the ring because he might play with it outside, giving me those high energy cognitive tasks for a toy reinforcer. Because if he can do that, he can do anything. So those might be questions that I ask him outside. I tend not to bring toys ringside for him. And I wish that fewer people did play toys ringside with their dogs. A lot of that has to do with the effect it has on the other dogs around you. A lot of it has to do with, I think a lot of those dogs are kind of in conflict. They're hanging onto that toy because they really want to, but they're, they also are worried about all these dogs that are staring at them and maybe getting activated by them. It causes a lot of, it causes dog to dog conflict. I saw a ton of it this weekend. So socially, I don't love it, but also When we're heading to the ring, we're engaging in the ritual. We're starting to engage in our crate-to-gate kind of protocol, and that does not involve toy play for the vast majority of dogs for me in my program. So for your higher energy dogs like Felix, asking them to do really smart stuff for food rewards might be something that you do before you go into the ring. Using nice, calm delivery of food rewards for your placeholder behaviors is also a smart thing to do versus a dog like Rhea, where I'm going to really be careful about every single piece of food I give her and every single piece of food I give her is going to be because she has done something that I have asked her to do or maybe because she's done multiple things that I've asked her to do. And I am going to ask her for, you know, little punctuations of higher energy things to show me that she is here and ready to give me high energy behavior versus Felix. I'm going to, I'm going to punctuate what I'm doing with him with low energy things, asking him to do that, asking him to be very thoughtful for that food. So it's always a couple of different tracks. Your dog might fall somewhere in between there, but all of this to say that what you're doing outside the ring is really affecting your performance. And There were plenty of dogs this weekend who were, when I say completely out of control, I don't just mean under control of their person because that's not necessarily what I'm after here. I also mean out of their own control. They had very little ability to self-regulate or do anything to kind of help themselves. And it showed when they got inside the ring as well. I wish this was something that agility instructors taught more people But again, they're serving their clientele. Not a lot of people will take a crate-to-gate course when they could be running agility instead. So hopefully that's where the webinar comes in. It is happening in about a week, and I hope to see you there.
you may not realize this, but the behaviors that occur between the crate and the gate at any given dog sport trial really affect your success inside the ring. Unfortunately, these behaviors are not taught in most classes, whether online or in person. And that's why I've pulled together my webinar, Success from Crate to Gate. In the webinar, you will learn all of the things that I do and that I teach my students to do between the time that they open the crate and the time that they enter the gate. We're talking things that I call placeholder behaviors. We're talking loose leash walking. We're talking really sexy stuff like downstays, but we're also talking when and why giving your dog a lot of reinforcers outside the ring might be a good or a bad thing. I hope you'll join me. It airs live February 21st, 2023, and there's a link to sign up in your show notes. Of course, if you're a member of Patreon or the CogDog Classroom membership, there's a discount for you. So be sure to race over there before you sign up. See you there. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.